Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Informatics Bytes. Brought to you by the ASHP section of Pharmacy Informatics and Technology, these podcasts cover topics on innovation in pharmacy, hot topics in informatics, and new technology. My name is Chris Urbanski, Operations and Automation Section Advisory Group member for ASHP. And joining us today is Bonnie Levin, Vice President, Pharmacy Services with MedStar Health about their cyber attack experience from 2016 and how listeners can learn how to avoid and or respond to an attack. Bonnie, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. I'm really honored to be here. All right, let's get started. Bonnie, how did you first learn about the attack? Well, first, let me say I have a little PTSD even just remembering it. It was a Monday morning. It was my anniversary. And I powered up my computer and saw the dreaded blue screen of death which everyone is just freaked out when they see it. So my email and my network were shut down. I immediately shut down my computer. And within a couple of minutes, I got a text on my personal phone from our emergency response system to join a MedStar-wide system emergency call. Well, that's not the ideal way to celebrate an anniversary, is it? (laughs) Nope. Do you know how the breach occurred? Well, we were pretty sure that our infrastructure was infiltrated, probably from a phishing email. So someone opened an email they shouldn't have, and it contained a ransomware that is now known as SamSam that did encrypt our data. And interestingly, this is the same ransomware that had infiltrated, I don't know, like since then, maybe 200 different cities and universities and hospitals. So it is a well-known now ransomware. So it must have happened in the middle of the night, early, like maybe after midnight, our IS help desk started getting calls. And then sometime shortly thereafter, the IS monitor, the resource that was at the control desk, did something that I thought was incredibly brave by stopping the line. And so within a couple of hours of receiving these calls, our internet and our EMR and everything was shut down by this IS resource, who then immediately notified our CIO, our CAO, and then our CEO, who subsequently notified MedStar's board of directors, the FBI, Joint Commission, and DC and Maryland officials. So big time. Yeah, wow. Lots of leadership involved there. Bonnie, what was your role during the event? Well, first, let's take a step back and let me describe MedStar. We are a 10-hospital system in Maryland and D.C., and at the time had more than 250 locations between ambulatory care and urgent care, et cetera. As the system pharmacy lead, my responsibility was coordinating the efforts among our 10 hospitals. At the time, we had eight retail pharmacies, centralized distribution services for automated dispensing fulfillment, and sterile compounding. So my role was communicating across the pharmacy enterprise, but also communicating with other senior leaders and other disciplines. We had crisis calls, system-level crisis calls, between two and four times a day. So we were communicating kind of the old way. You know, it's like telephone, fax, personal texts, personal emails, as needed. It was quite the challenge. Well, it's good to have communication options, isn't it? Yeah. Let's move on then to talk about the job at hand. What was your business continuity plan to continue caring for patients? Well, fortunately, MedStar trains annually on emergency preparedness. We've been doing this for decades, before COVID and since then. Every year, we have a system-wide emergency event, each year with a different scenario. 
We've had bomb threats, fires, explosions. Last week, we had one that was an earthquake, which was our annual planning. And so we have experience in coordinating with local law enforcement, regulatory agencies, and across our system. So in addition to that, we do annual training. And unfortunately, living in the D.C. area, we've had some real life crises that we've had to manage, including 9-11. So two of our hospitals are within almost you know, a stone's throw to the Pentagon. We also had the Navy Yard shootings that we cared for patients. Ebola, et cetera. So MedStar's been around the block on this a couple of times. And so we felt pretty well prepared and engaged and quick to act. Within, I don't know, six hours of shutting down the system, our system-wide command center was opened and each hospital opened their own command center. So that established communications across the system. And we are an HRO organization, a high reliability organization. So patients come first. And as I mentioned, the bravery of that IS resource who, quote, stopped the line, that's an HRO principle to, you know, preoccupation with failure, sensitivity to operations. So we are a strong safety and quality organization. And I think it shined during this malware event. Well, obviously, there's a lot going on there in terms of trying to focus efforts. What were the priorities with respect to managing the situation? Well, lots was at stake, needless to say. Patients came first. So, you know, implementing our standard downtime procedures was the first thing we did. But we were also really concerned about operational and technical priorities. So data and system integrity, making sure that we did not lose any patient or financial or any associate information. I'll have to say, spoiler alert, that we didn't pay a ransom and we lost no data. So very proud of that. Priorities also were for communications, both internal and external. So internal communications between our associates, providers, and our patients, and then externally with law enforcement and the media. I have a personal story about internal communications. A very close friend of mine happened to be an inpatient in one of our hospitals awaiting an elective surgery. Her surgery was delayed a day And while she was waiting, the nurse came in to give her her routine medications and said, by the way, I'm not scanning your medication today because our system is down. But let me explain to you what we're doing to make sure that you're still safe. And this friend of mine felt very comfortable and supported in this process. So I felt like we really did a good job there. But, you know, our ultimate priority was to do no harm to patients, to our data. So we immediately started on planning for restoring functionality. So that was incorporated into all of our priorities. Good to hear you were so well prepared, but how well do you think the staff actually were prepared to put the downtime plans into action? Well, everybody plans and everybody has scheduled downtime. Unscheduled downtime is always a little different, but we were able to immediately implement what we had in in place. So paper, fax, telephones, I like to think of it as roller skates. You know, we immediately could print our downtime MARS, medication administration records, from local PCs. That is standard practice. You know, but as soon as you print them, they're out of date. We did run out of some paper and some labels, and at least one pharmacy director had to run out to the office supply store. So that was a little bit of an aha. But also clinically, access to lab results, progress notes, medication histories, et cetera, were different because they were on paper and you couldn't access them immediately. So there was a lot of running up and down to get information. But I think we were prepared. Excellent. It had to be a little frustrating trying to keep up while running out of supplies. Did you experience any operational gaps that were especially challenging? Well, so at the time of the malware event, we had about a thousand different computer systems at MedStar. 370 of them were shut down. 
So that included our inpatient and our outpatient electronic medical records, which at the time were different, our retail pharmacy information system, communications to our central distribution service were also down. So there were definitely communication gaps that we had to plug with the old way. Our retail pharmacy had an interesting reluctance to dispense because they didn't have access to the electronic patient record and drug interactions and such. And one of our hospitals is within a couple of miles from TV Hill. So as soon as the media got wind of our downtime, there were suddenly TV cameras on our front lawn of our hospital interviewing people leaving the hospital. So they happened to interview a patient who was leaving who was refused her discharge medication because the retail pharmacist was uncomfortable dispensing. So within a couple of minutes, I got a call from our chief medical officer saying, please find a way to have your pharmacist comfortable in dispensing so that we can care for our patients. So it took a little bit of time, you know, because you have to go to the old way. You have to go to books for drug interactions and such. Um, We had to ease concerns from inpatient and outpatient pharmacists about how to access patient allergies or med histories and, you know, software for drug interaction checking and even prescription adjudication. None of that could happen. So we had to find ways using our backup solutions. Also, importantly, on the inpatient side, our automated dispensing devices were on override and not profile. So we couldn't reconcile or identify discrepancies. We couldn't run stockout reports or fill lists, which, as you can imagine, the risk of drug diversion and inventory management was really a challenge. We also could not electronically access our pharmacy wholesaler. So placing orders was a huge issue. And finally, just communicating electronically with our central distribution service to order TPNs and automated dispensing fills. So how to calculate TPNs manually and all of that, you know, again, was going back the old way. But I think the most interesting operational gap was a generational gap. We quickly saw that tenured staff were pretty comfortable with paper. You know, they grew up on paper and they knew how to do that. And so the muscle memory kicked in. Younger staff were really challenged. So it was interesting to watch. I even had a provider after the fact tell me that it was the best thing since life spread because he could treat twice as many patients on paper. So that was a little bit of an interesting wrinkle in all of this. Yeah, you know, I don't think any of us want to go back to the old manual ways, but at the same time, relying on so much technology sometimes can be a double-edged sword, can it? Oh, boy. Yeah, so you have to remember the old way, but I think embrace the new way and just be very flexible. Good advice. So let's now talk about the disaster recovery process. First off, you kind of alluded to it, but I think our listeners again, would like to hear a little bit about whether or not the ransom was paid in order to get access to your data. Well, fortunately, we never paid ransom. Very clearly, we also did not lose any patient financial or operational data. I'm very proud of that fact. FBI has investigated. And interestingly, two hackers were ultimately charged in connection with the ransomware attack more than two years later. It was in the papers in, I think, November of 2018. These hackers were overseas, and I don't think they've been apprehended, but they were identified. And as I said earlier, there were, I don't know, 200 different ransomware events across the country in different kinds of locations. Bonnie, part of a good disaster response plan is having a disaster recovery plan as well. What was the MedStar recovery process? Well, it was well-planned. 90% of our systems were back up in five days, but our inpatient electronic record, for the most part, within 48 to 72 hours, was back live. We spent a lot of time scheduling, rolling backload of data, figuring out what would be backloaded, when we would backload it, and coordinated with nursing and the providers and IT, and essentially went hospital by hospital, nursing unit by nursing unit, backloading data. 
We also had to do charge reconciliation for our automated dispensing devices, our operating rooms for all the pharmacy dispenses, because we were on charge by dispense for most of our locations at that point. So we had to do charge reconciliation. We had to do controlled substance and inventory reconciliation. And that was tough because it was a lot of time and a lot of dispenses, but we were able to do that as well as adverse event tracking. We, from what we learned afterwards, did not have any serious safety events, which was very, very heartening to hear. The IT group built what they called tunnels into the internet, which I had never heard of, but that allowed us to access our wholesaler and other internal vendors they stayed in place until all of the network was back up. So was all of the data, the orders, the transactions, et cetera, backloaded from the start of the attack until systems were back up? Great question, Chris. The answer is mostly yes. We spent a lot of time diving into what was of value and what wasn't both clinically and financially. So anything that was clinically relevant got in and anything that was financially relevant got in. So there were some one-time orders at the beginning that really didn't have clinical impact that we didn't backload. It was very time-consuming, as you can imagine. We entered it, nursing needed to verify it, et cetera, and we were working from paper. So I would say most was, but it was a very thoughtful approach. I think that's really helpful information that that was kind of can always be a concern depending on how long a downtime you have, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's close with some key lessons learned from this incident and experience. Bonnie, what should pharmacy leaders take home from this podcast today? Thanks, Chris, for that question. The take home from this is update and drill relentlessly, both new and tenured associates. Back up your files, secure all your thumb drives, train obsessively to prevent phishing and spyware. So MedStar does, I call them phishing expeditions, where associates will get an email that if they open, clearly they weren't paying attention and they could be phished. So we do that regularly. But I think from an operational perspective, being aware of all of the documents that you have that change that you depend on electronically. So make sure you have everybody's cell number. You have all the emergency phone numbers from your vendors. You have all the department fax numbers and listings and you know names of the key leaders. And then there's supplies. So make sure you have order sets printed, your clinical practice guidelines, paper MARS, labels. I mentioned we ran out to have to get labels, folders, DEA 222 forms. That's another one. You know, everybody's so reliant on CSOS. Make sure you have paper backups. Then there's some of the clinical documents like your dilution drip charts, your therapeutic interchange, have all of them available so that the nurses can continue to provide care. Also, hard copy of your drug information texts. I don't know that everybody still keeps them because we all rely on our mobile software. So it's probably worthwhile to remind your clinical staff to have their cell phones updated with whatever drug information software of choice is. So communications are critical. Talking to each other is really important. Make sure that your staff know not to talk to the media, at least at MedStar. We're very clear that if the media calls you, contact your supervisor and media coordinator. You want to make sure that your communications are clear and consistent externally and internally, making sure that everybody's talking to each other because you have to coordinate care. We, as I mentioned earlier, make sure that Joint Commission is aware. You know, We had to notify the FBI and we notified the regulatory boards for medicine, pharmacy, nursing, et cetera, in, in the states. Sounds like a lot of work and preparation, but well worth the effort, especially since we still see reports of cyber attacks in the media almost on a weekly basis. 
That's all the time we have for our broadcast. I want to thank Bonnie Levin, Vice President, Pharmacy Services for MedStar Health, for joining us today to discuss their cybersecurity event and experience. Thanks for tuning in for this session of Informatics Bytes. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's Informatics Resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings in the Informatics Resource Center, including articles, standards and guidelines, as well as practice tools for pharmacy informatics and healthcare technology-related topics. Be sure to follow at ASHP Official Podcast for more episodes and Informatics Bytes from the section of Pharmacy Informatics and Technology. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official. Official.